This episode was recorded in 2021. Welcome to the Spring Back Guide podcast, formerly known as the New Leaf podcast, where I share the stories of a bunch of amazing women whose professional lives and identities have all been transformed for the better by becoming a mum. My name is Letty, and I'm the founding coach of the Spring Back Guide, created to get you back to work happy after your baby. This podcast is made for you. Ready to dive in? Okay, let's go. Welcome, Helen. Thank you. I'm really pleased to be here. What a start to the new year. So tell me, whereabouts are you in the world right now and what can you see in front of you? We're based between Brighton and Eastbourne on the south coast of England. The accent may not immediately give that away because I'm from Northern Ireland originally. And so I'm literally in a fairly bright pink office space, but everybody else is downstairs in the warehouse. Bright pink office space. I love it. You could go for white or cream, plain walls, but bright pink we thought was the way to go. So it's very enlivening. You said you moved into a warehouse to get more space. So how many people do you employ now? I think we've got 35 on the books. And you said you employ your son. You've got four. Can you believe it? This woman has four (laughs) children and her own company. So Archie's my biggest boy. He's 16 going on. 21 in his head. <laughs> He's lovely. He's very happy to come along to an exhibition and talk about period pants, cloth sanitary pads, which I think is amazing for a 16-year-old boy. Then we've got Felix, who is my pickle. He's 13. And I'll be completely honest with you, he spent most of the last lockdown in his pants playing Roblox because I'm not homeschooled. I have very little patience. I wish I did. My husband has lots and lots of patience, but I've got a pinball brain and I looked at lockdown as really, we just all needed to get out the other side without the additional pressure of trying to homeschool four kids. So thankfully they don't seem to have come out of it any worse. Then we've got Jenny, who is 12. So she's just started high school. Oh, she's just lovely, quite sensible, quite serious. And lastly, we've got Erin, who's nine, and she is my Glastonbury baby. So I went to Glastonbury and came back having conceived Erin. At that point, we thought, that's enough. And Erin, if you're listening, now you know. Oh, yes. We've always been quite open about it. As you can imagine, with my business, I talk about poo, pee and periods all day, every day. Sex is, it's discussed. We don't hide these things we think it's better to be open and have those conversations rather than make them a taboo absolutely and I'm just thinking about this in the context of having a northern Irish background because I know that the abortion law over there was only changed relatively recently so it must be quite a conservative background to also have that attitude it's a hugely conservative background I would say that cultural attitudes in northern Ireland are a good 10 years behind the rest of the UK, a good 10 years. I can't imagine living there again. I find it quite judgy. I'm not, and that's not really me. I I take people for who they are. I don't care what religion they are. And I like to treat people as I would like to be treated. And I don't think that's quite as prevalent in Northern Ireland. So I, I, I don't think I could go back. And I guess being based down near Brighton, that couldn't be more of a contrast, right? Brighton is so open, free love type of place and very hipster in the nicest possible way. Yeah, it's a great place to go when people watch 
So then if you've come from this background and then you've ended up having these types of conversations with your kids, I would just love to know the journey. So tell me about the origins of where you are now. Oh, this is, this is an interesting question because the origin of why I work for myself, why I've ended up running my own business, goes back to my grandmother. So I was very close with my grandmother growing up. Oh, this is, this is such a, you just you triggered something in me. Going back to talking about Northern Ireland and being very conservative, I was actually born out of wedlock. So my parents were not married when they had me. And that was in 1973. I was going to be adopted. And my dad literally came to see my mum in hospital. They decided to keep me. My mum was only 19. She was really young. But it was such a scandal. My grandmother was ashamed of my mum. And, and she used to tell me that. She was very Protestant, church-going, you know, to have an unwed uh, daughter, have a, a child out of wedlock was a scandal. But saying that, my grandmother and I were always very close and she was a fairly formidable woman. She was born in 1914 and during the Second World War, she m- married my grandfather. He then went off to fight in France and got stranded at Dunkirk and came back with a severe PTSD as a result. My grandmother worked in a factory that made nose cones for planes. I think it was in the shipyard in Belfast. And I remember asking her about it. And she said, oh, it was just like following a dressmaking pattern, but for a plane. (laughs) I just thought, I thought that was amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. She was, you know, but so matter of fact about it. She used to tell me about all the jobs she'd done. She used to travel two hours at six o'clock in the morning to work in Belfast in a tea room and she used to tell me about running up and down all these stairs with big trays of tea and cakes on her shoulder and that work ethic I think definitely came from her. She had her own shop, she'd taken in lodgers to make ends meet and she also, funnily enough, which is definitely where this comes from for me, she used to move house like every three years. So she saved up enough money to buy her house and then she would live there for a little while and and then she'd move on. And she always increased the value of whatever she was doing as she moved on. And I think that's definitely where I get my sort of interest in property from. I think I'm on my fifth house and I've been here 16 years, so I'm keeping up that streak. But I think that that entrepreneurial spark really came from my grandmother. So I did well at school. I could have gone to university. During my A-levels, the local bank were looking for staff. And I just thought I could go to university or I could just go to work and be earning my own money now. So at 17, I joined the bank, which at that stage, it was still a job for life. And the bank manager was still very respected in the community. But oh my God, it was boring. It was so boring. And I remember that the good thing about working for a bank is that they do send you on development courses. And I remember going on one and they asked you where you would like to be in five years and 10 years. And I remember saying, I'd like to be working for myself. I don't know what that looks like. I don't want to be wearing a uniform. I want to be my own boss. And I think really that has always been with me. I just didn't know quite how I wanted to go about that or what that looked like. I took a year out when I was 24 and I went to Australia, which I loved. Went back to work in the bank in Northern Ireland and moved into the marketing department. And that led me to get a job in London. That was where I met my husband. We got married, had Archie in 2004 and then set up my 
first business in 2005. So that was interesting because at that point I was living in Seaford. My job meant commuting to either London or Derby. So I would leave Archie, who was, you know, six months old with his grandparents, and I would go to Derby, stay one or two nights there and then come home. That mummy guilt is overwhelming. So that was what really motivated me to start my first business. And you said your first business, so I, I, I'm assuming that this wasn't Cheeky Wipes at that point? No, it wasn't. So when we got married in 2005, I found this product in America called Deso Albums, which had little pockets on each page to slide a Polaroid picture into. You didn't have to stick them or mess about with glue or anything. And I contacted the lovely lady who made them in America and said, I'd really like to distribute these in the UK. Can I do that? Here's a business case. And yeah, so I was their distributor in the UK and got that to a point where we could take the hit on income. It was starting to make some money. And then I was able to quit working and commuting and focus on that sort of full time along with having Archie. Oh my goodness, so much to pull out from what you've just said. It's, I've got this list as long as you are. I've just been making notes as you've been talking. I'm just fascinated by your background, I guess. You said 1973 and to be born out of wedlock in, in Northern Ireland. It's just crazy to think how many children in Ireland, but also Northern Ireland as well, where this happened. And England, frankly, it's just mad that this was happening I wanted to say 30 years ago it's not year 2000 anymore 50 years ago which really isn't (laughs) that long ago it's just absolutely crazy yeah you were really frowned upon and looked down upon and within my social circles there's someone who found out that they had a half-sister within the last five years because again her mother had to give up this firstborn child it's much more widespread than we think. And I'm not surprised that would have an impact, therefore, on your willingness to talk about this stuff and be open with your children. Because I think particularly in the States and in some really conservative backgrounds, it seems like the answer to teenage pregnancy seems to be, let's just pretend that it doesn't exist and we won't (laughs) talk about it at all. And if you discuss sex with your children then they're all going to be pregnant within a minute. And it's just not the case. They've done study after study on it. It's really strange, this kind of conservative hangover that happens where people just think, nope, let's just ignore it and then the problem will go away. It's crazy. Yeah, prohibition doesn't work. We, it doesn't. <laughs> and the Americans should have learned from that in the 20s, really, with booze. But it's having an open conversation with your kids. I've been talking to Archie about consent for three years now. You may have seen it online. There's a fantastic little cartoon about cups of tea and consent. Yes, it's so good. It's amazing. If I say that I want a cup of tea and then I change my mind, don't make me tea. Don't make me drink (laughs) it. If I pass out unconscious, do not pour the tea down my throat. I think it's such a relevant conversation and a very important conversation to be having with our boys It is actually a concern of mine. I listened to a fantastic podcast last week, Catelyn Moran and Annie Mack, and Catelyn Moran was talking about pornography. I've got a 16-year-old boy. If all he knows about sex is what he's seeing on Pornhub, then that's a worry. Women's pleasure during sex is not a thing in porn, and actually it's really important, and it's really important to have a loving relationship, and I think it's important to have that conversation with your children. It may be awkward. They may not want to have it 
but they need to be hearing it from their parents. They need to be getting their advice on sex from their parents, not from frigging Pornhub or whatever. I just couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And I think it is terrifying to think that is the introduction to sex that young people get. And especially with phones, like I'm of the age and my friends are of the age where the smartphones didn't come in until we were 19. So we just missed that crucial teen point where you're really still learning about the world. And we were all on flip phones and it just wasn't so readily available. Of course, it was a thing. It was all over the internet, but it wasn't in your pocket. So you couldn't just whip it out at school and have all your friends see it and also just have access to how graphic some of the content is, obviously. But then it's that thing like sexting, sending around pictures of getting girls to send nudes and then forwarding them on. I I know a few years ago there was an incident in Archie's school, something along those lines. But again, it's a conversation of you don't do that and you definitely don't forward pictures to your friends because you're culpable. If you're sharing it, then you're culpable. And how would you feel if that's your sister? I try to say to my kids, don't say anything online you wouldn't say to somebody's face with me in the room or do anything online that you wouldn't do with me in the room because just think about the consequences. That's sometimes easier said than done with um, teenagers. Obviously, I'm, I'm nowhere near this yet because my son is, he's going to be two shortly. So hopefully I've got this to come. Terrifying. But that's the bit that's really scary, isn't it? That you just think they haven't got that bit developed in their brains yet. I always think back to what I was like as a teenager and I think, oh my God, I, I had no clue. Like people would tell, they tell you the consequences of what you do, but it's quite easy for it to slightly go in one ear and out the other until this sort of magic point where you do start thinking about the consequences. And there is an element of, I could literally talk until I'm blue in the face, but until they make their own mistakes and learn from them, they're not going to take it in or they'll they'll poo-poo because they think they know better or whatever. And we've all been there. I think anybody who says that they didn't do things in their teenage years that they shouldn't have done is playing out lying. But (laughs) you you do learn. You learn from your mistakes and hopefully grow from them and move on. Absolutely. Or they just do them later. Yeah. It's, it's an absolute minefield. And I understand that you and your husband aren't together anymore. So does he share a similar attitude with this stuff? Is this something that you've discussed together? He's definitely more conservative than me when it comes to having those conversations. And in other ways, is completely inappropriate at the same time. Um, <laughs> but so he's got, I think he's quite happy for to leave those conversations up to me. And yeah, in any sort of marriage, co-parenting relationship, we don't always agree on everything all the time, but you need to make it work and try and be as aligned as possible in in what you say to the kids. And I I think we do a pretty pretty good job of that, mostly. Neither of us has been in this situation before. We're both very clear that our priority is the kids being okay. And I think we've done a pretty good job in making sure that's the case. And exactly, most important thing. So we were at 2005 and you're doing this Polaroid business, but alas, Polaroid stopped being made. So what did you do? Oh, it had been a lovely little business. Um, My lovely father-in-law, Pete, Dave's dad, set up his garage to basically be a little mini warehouse. We're based at Seaford, New Haven. And one of the big businesses in New Haven was Parker Penn. And he had been the factory floor manager in Parker Penn for 40 years. So he knew pick and pack like the back of his hand. So he was retired. He was looking for something to do. We got on really well. 
And he had set up his his garage as a, as a little pick and pack. And him and his wife, Trish, did all my order processing. So it was great while it lasted. And then it got to a point, I think it must have been about 2009, where Polaroid started to wind down production. And we limped along for a couple of years. So at that stage, I started thinking about, okay, if this business is going to wind down, what else can I do? And I'd always used cloth wipes with Archie. I've had eczema since I was about five years old. And when Archie was born, my eczema was really bad on my hands. My fingers were sort of cracked and bleeding and sore. And I couldn't use disposable baby wipes. I I tried to avoid anything that would put any sort of chemical on my hands. Just everything really, really hurt. And because I was using cloth nappies anyway, I thought, how do I make using cloth wipes easy at home? How do I make it convenient? What do I do to make them smell nice? How do I make them wash? What do I do when I'm going out for the day? And that was how the cloth wipes kit came about. But it wasn't until Felix was born three years later, and that sort of coincided with Polaroid starting to wind up, that I thought maybe there's an opportunity. Most of my friends didn't use cloth nappies, and it wasn't as big a thing as it is more nowadays. So I thought maybe I could make cloth wipes really easy for everybody to use, not just people using cloth nappies, maybe for disposable nappy users too. And even if people can't bring themselves to use them for poo, they could use them for face wiping. And that's how the idea for Cheeky Wipes came about, really. So when, yeah, I launched Cheeky Wipes at 37 weeks pregnant with Jenny, who was my number three. I don't even understand that. How did you do this? It's very different being pregnant with number two, number three, number four to number one. Number one, you're a princess and you go for naps and you eat ice cream and you look after yourself and you put your feet up. And after your number one baby comes, it's such a shock to your system. I, I remember I didn't leave the house for three weeks. I had a pretty horrible delivery with Archie and then had a, a bit of retained placenta. So I was passing huge clots and ended up back in the hospital. In pregnancy number two, you're having to look after a toddler and get on with everything else. So it's very different sort of mindset. You're much more able to cope and just get on because you have to. You don't really have an alternative. Yeah. And I was trying to hold back the laughter when he said pregnancy number one, you're a princess. It's just so true. Pregnancy number two. Yeah, not so much. Impossible. In my sort of shameless stalking of you, there was an article, I think in the Mirror or something, that said that your motto was JFDI, which is my motto. So I was like, I love this woman already. Because, excuse my language, but sometimes you've just got to fucking do it. Just fucking do it. If you want to do something, get on with it. It I really resonates with me having launched two businesses whilst pregnant both times. So I totally echo that. Yeah, exactly. If you wait for the right time to do something, you'll never do it. Just fucking do it. Just get on with it. Sorry to interrupt. If you're feeling inspired by this episode to go back to work happy and confident, then what are you waiting for? I'm the founder of The Springback Guide, and it's an online series of videos just six minutes long each so that anyone can fit it into mum life, focusing on putting yourself first again, getting your confidence back, working better with your partner, and also showing you how to figure out whether you're in the right job at all. And of course, what to do if you're still not sure. If you're already back at work, but feeling stuck and unhappy, it's for you too. It's all designed and led by me to provide you with amazing career and life coaching at a fraction of the price of face-to-face coaching. If you're still not sure or just want to see where I hang out, you can come and chat to me on Instagram at Springback Guide. 
Okay, sorry about that. Let's crack on with the episode. I read a book by Jess Phillips, isn't it? And she said something along the lines of, it's better to apologise for taking the initiative than ask permission to do. Ask for forgiveness, not for permission. That's the one. And that's certainly something that stands firmly in our company values is learn from where you go wrong, listen to customer feedback, improve things as you go along, because nobody gets it right all the time. We are all perfectly imperfect. All you can do is do your best and learn. Yeah, absolutely. And also the goal changes. It's no good to have a very rigid end goal in your mind because the mistakes help shape what that end goal is going to be because you think, oh, you know what? I was going to do this, but actually that doesn't work at all because I've I've seen from this initial mistake that I've just made that this isn't working. Okay. I just need to pivot what the outcome is. And I think people think that you have to have this super rigid plan. And if you don't achieve exactly what you said you would in the beginning, it's a failure, but actually you are just learning. It's not a failure. So it sounds like you've really embroiled that into what you do. Yeah, absolutely. And and whenever I worked at Egg, which is the credit card company I worked at up in um, Derby, I had a fantastic boss and I remember him saying that when a baby's learning to walk, it takes its first step and then it falls over. And you don't say, oh, you're rubbish, don't do that again. The baby gets up, learns from it and does a little bit better the next time. And you don't treat that as a failure, you treat that as learning. And that's also always really stuck with me. So you launched Cheeky Wipes 2008, 37 weeks pregnant with your third. So I can't even imagine the chaos that must have been going on. So you had, what, two toddlers at this, or two young children at this point, heavily pregnant, and you must have been doing all that development, et cetera, during the pregnancy. So what was that like? <laughs> I don't, for want of a better question, what was that all like? I sort of remember it being fine. Low points I remember during pregnancies. I remember we moved into a new house, like I said, like a house project. And I remember moving into a new house when Felix, number two, was about three weeks old, which it seemed to be par for the course. Every time we moved house, it seemed to be just after a given birth. And I remember, <laughs> I remember I was decorating and then I, was, I wouldn't really, really pick him up to breastfeed him. And then I'd set him down again. But I remember crying to my mum and just saying, oh, my God, what am I doing? But I think I'm pretty good at juggling. Archie had grandparents close by and he went to a fantastic nursery. So that sort of took a little bit of the mummy guilt away. So 37 weeks pregnant. And I can see again from my stalking that you were actually going to trade shows. There was really something in launching a tangible product because social media was barely a thing back then. And YouTube had only been going for, what, three years at that point. You can't have people necessarily doing product demonstrations, etc. So it just must have been a completely different landscape to what it would be like now to launch a product like Cheeky Wipes. Yeah, it was completely different. And the upside to launching at 37 Weeks Pregnant is the people who visit your stand will really remember you. Someone who's now a good friend, Vicky Denby from Mummy and Little Me. They were one of my first retailers and she still says, I'll never forget seeing you on the stand, 37 weeks pregnant. You just launched this business and they took us on and became close friends over the years as a result of it. And I think it's an interesting one because I feel like in most other industries, if you're out of the mummy space, if you tell people that you've just launched a product, et cetera, and you say, oh, and um, P.S., I'm actually three weeks away from giving birth. Most people be like, just give me a call back once you've settled down with the baby. 
etc. Just get in touch then maybe, i.e. there's no way you're going to be able to do business with us for a bit. And I think there's mummy space, but again, for want of a better description, it's one of those places where people mostly just think, wow, great. Okay. She's cracking on. Yeah. Can't wait to work with them. In the sort of baby market, it shows that you know what you're talking about. You've really got children. Yeah. So it's a slightly different market from that perspective. Totally different. And it's, it becomes an X factor and a bit of a superpower because the people that know what it's like, holy crap, if you're managing to do this, then this is a really, this is an impressive person or this is somebody that obviously has a lot of tenacity or really believes in what they're doing. And it, look, it sounds like you are so far ahead of the curve of where we are now because my generation in particular is huge Attenborough nutty generation we, we love David Attenborough he's a complete hero and I think everyone is getting so much more conscious of the tipping point that we are at environmentally and how much baby waste and also just other product waste as you said period waste etc contributes to the polluting of our oceans and you must have seen such a boost recently or haven't you I don't know you would not believe the change in perception I think it's it's fair to say that Friends of friends thought I was nuts. They were like, oh, it's disgusting. Why would you want to do that? You mean it's going to be poo on a wipe and you're going to put it in the washing machine? I was like, oh, yeah. It washes out. That's what washing machines are for. And I remember going to baby groups and they all looked at me as if I had two heads. But something that's really important to the business values is I used the product. I used it day in, day out. I knew how much better and easier it was to, to use than disposable wipes. Obviously, you've got to wash them. That's really a minor inconvenience for the benefits of you're going to save money. It's better for the environment. And they just work better as well. So from that perspective, you can't sell something or I don't think you should sell something that you don't believe in and use yourself. It's why we don't have menstrual cups. I didn't get on with it. I know other people do, but I can't say to a customer yeah this is why it's great and this is why it works and this is how I use it so there's not that authenticity and that authenticity and integrity for me is really important you cannot sell something that you don't believe in it's important that you're really behind whatever it is that you're doing it's what creates meaning and purpose in your life yeah absolutely it's it's so important and I'll be honest with you I'm quite glad to be back at work today 4th of January I did some work last week but it's nice to be back in some sort of routine because there's only so much sitting about in your pajamas eating chocolate that I can do. So it's nice to be back in that role as as Helen, managing director <laughs> of Cheeky Wipes, rather than mum. A provider of food and snacks. A provider and- of snacks and entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> But it's, I was thinking earlier when you said you were you were using cloth nappies back in 2005, etc. I'd say it definitely is more commonplace now. I wouldn't say it's the norm or even oh, close no. yet. No. Think about my NCT group. There's one of us who was amazing and she absolutely championed it from the beginning. And I think a couple of them used reusable for a bit. But I think a few people did the compromise of buying eco nappies instead. So biodegradable nappies, but obviously it's not a perfect solution. So you were quite ahead of the curve even back then. So what inspired that choice? Because that's quite a commitment as well. I think my mum had mentioned it in passing. And I think my initial response was, why would I want to do that? And then me being me, went off and researched it and thought, I can make this work. And I've never been a fan of disposable nappies. I just think they're minging. They're just gross. 
And for me, it comes back to that conversation they have with you when you're going to have your baby and they say, well, you can wear paper pants afterwards. So why would you want paper pants around your bruised, battered nether regions after you've had a baby? And I think that comfort factor, I just thought, why would I want to put a chemical-filled, plasticky thing around my baby's skin when I could put cotton against the skin and just wash it? And I think having a mum that was behind it and had done it herself, I think, makes a huge difference. I think what your parents do in general makes a huge difference to you when you're a first-time mum. Yeah, my mum, she was an auxiliary nurse in a midwifery unit. but She'd seen it all and had really good tips and, I guess, was open and supportive of me in, in what I decided to do. And it really helped that Dave, my ex, he was behind it as well because... I know talking to people at baby shows and sometimes the women are going, oh, my husband wouldn't want that. He wouldn't want, he wouldn't want me washing poopy things in with his, his shirts. And um, yeah, I always think that's a, a, an interesting dynamic in, mm. in relationships where, you know, you have to ask permission, especially when it's maybe one partner doing the majority of the nappy changing, but because your partner's not sure. Anyway. I was about to say, first problem, babe, is that you're washing his shirts, so... <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like nice. Are you some sort of 1950s housewife? But anyway, yeah. yeah. You can't say that. Yeah. It's not very diplomatic. No, of course not. Particularly when you're trying to sell a product. I understand that. So you were going around trade shows, 37 weeks pregnant, and obviously making yourself very memorable to all of these people. So when you had your third... That's not an awful lot of maternity leave, I would say. I I think there was very little maternity leave. So I was 39 plus one with Jenny. So a couple of weeks after we'd been at the trade show, my husband played in a samba band and they were doing a gig over in Brighton. We decided to go and watch the gig. And I I sort of thought, oh, I'm really heavily pregnant. I'll just go and sit on the side and not really get involved. But I do love a bit of a boogie. So I was right up there at the front dancing and got a little bit of a twinge and thought, oh, a bit of a twinge. And then a few minutes later, oh, yeah, that's a bit of a twinge. And I had a friend with me and I said, oh, just, you know. Hmm, a few little twinges. Just let me know when you have the, the next one. But yeah, my, my contractions at that stage were between three and four minutes apart. So we oh um, <laughs> we finished the gig and, and went back and, and Jenny arrived six hours later. So, um, <gasps> yeah. But oh I, I literally, I danced that baby out. So uh, that was a good one. The best way to have a baby. <laughs> Definitely. I'm very envious of that experience. That sounds absolutely marvellous. And, okay, so you then had Jenny. Jenny was danced out. And then you must have been on such a high from the trade show and you're getting all this interest. And then you're thinking, oh, crap, I have to have a baby. So did you set yourself a a mat leave and say, I need two weeks just to heal and then I'm going to get back on it? Or how did that all work? I just came straight back into it. I just kept on top of emails. Like I said, the order processing was all being done by my lovely father-in-law anyway. And I remember breastfeeding with one arm and expressing at the same time with a pump on the other boob and one-handedly answering emails because you can, (laughs) because you have to. But you've got no option. You find something you want to do and you have to work out a way of making it work. You have to feed your baby anyway, so... If you can be doing something else, I don't know, you, you just get on. And it doesn't feel like work. If it's something that you really enjoy, yes, okay, it's an inconvenience to have to email someone back when you've got 
pump them on boob and baby on the other. But at the same time, if somebody approaches you and it's an opportunity, it's exciting. And you think, I really want to email them back. It's not an effort in the same way. Exactly. And it is about having that passion. It's not that anybody was driving me to do it. I wanted to do it. And I I think that's why I couldn't have been a stay-at-home mom. And I, I... I just have respect for anybody that can do it. I think it would have driven me completely insane because for me, part of my identity is Helen, who is independent. She gets things done. And and all that part of me, to set that to one side and only be Archie's mum or Dave's wife, I really would have struggled with it. Yeah, and it's the whole message of this podcast I think it's so underrepresented and underrated I guess that actually work is a huge part of our identity and it is a big deal in the majority of instances to take a chunk of time away from that and that was what you know drove me to set up my own business is how you manage that if you're not with your baby 100% how you manage that sort of guilt I might not be a good enough mom but you know mommy guilt is such a huge thing isn't it you get guilt no matter what you do, no matter what choices you make, where you breastfeed, where you don't breastfeed, if you have a natural birth, whatever that may be, forceps delivery, whatever, that's, there's always that voice in the background, are you doing the best for your child? But actually, for my kids, I think it's better for them to see a mum who's getting a lot out of what I do. It's setting them a good role model that women can work and mummy guilt is such a massive thing. And there's just no perfect way of doing it again another message of this podcast there is no handbook and I think it's one of those things that you're slightly tricked into thinking that there is because there are so many books that say oh if you follow this routine then your baby will sleep perfectly or they'll eat perfectly or your breastfeeding journey is going to be this incredible beautiful experience if you do every single thing that's listed out in this book and it's something that took me a long time to learn that there isn't really one single way of doing things yeah, absolutely. And talking about breastfeeding, I breastfed Archie. We had no problems with it. It was delightful until I think at about six months I got thrush. So painful. Oh, I've had it too. Oh, it's literally toe curling. The, the fact that you're weeping every time your child latches on, it's absolutely grim. And then with the others, Felix did feed he fed okay but again I got thrush and we lasted six months but the last three months of that were horrendous and I think I'm pretty sure that Jenny and Erin had a tongue tie which wasn't diagnosed they they didn't latch well at all and again feeding was incredibly painful and you don't necessarily always want to listen to your mother but they are usually right I remember my mum with Jenny, I was I was really struggling. I was feeding her for 45 minutes at a time. She was crying and crying. And my mum knows what a hungry baby sounds like. And she was saying, that child is hungry. Mm. You need to be thinking about giving her some formula. And I was like, no, how can she be? You know, I've literally, I've been sitting here feeding her for an hour. And I, I just remember one day in desperation, I, I, I made up a bottle of formula and gave it to Jenny. And she literally... She passed out in like a bliss of food coma. Yeah, complete milk coma. And oh my God, that child was hungry. (laughs) Oh my God, I should have listened to my mother. And I I think at that point, I just thought, you know what, I'll do what I need to do. So Erin certainly, by the time she came along, it was a bit of breast, it was a bit of bottle, it was whatever we could do. And I, I think that if you can breastfeed, amazing. 
but it's not the be all and end all. I was bottle fed, you know, it didn't do me any harm. But it's that, again, that mummy guilt that is if you're not doing it, oh my God, I'm the worst mum. It's so hard. That's really reassuring, I think, what you say as well, because obviously you've had four kids and the fact that with your first, it was relatively hassle-free, you really enjoyed it, Archie had a good experience, etc. And I think a lot of people listening who are maybe at the beginnings of their family, etc., maybe just had their first baby or are thinking about this stuff, it really varies from child to child. And you don't necessarily know that in the beginning and you think, oh my God, if it was awful the first time around, it's going to be awful the second time around. And actually... Not necessarily. Yeah. I just don't know. Absolutely. That's always such a shock between your first baby and your second baby. And your second baby's different. And logically, children are different. I'm different to my sister. You, you should get all that. But when your second child comes and they're different, it's like, bloody hell. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> so it, it is still a shock to the system that babies vary, but they, they do so much. <laughs> I know. It's almost like human beings are different. It's just so crazy. <laughs> We should know this. <laughs> I know, exactly, exactly. Okay, so you didn't have any mat leave with Jenny, it sounds like. And then Cheeky Whites was obviously in its infancy in an environment where, okay, people were thinking about reusables, but maybe not so much. So tell me about the last 10 years and how the company has changed and where you are now. So I think what's changed is we still, even even until a couple of years ago, we were still a fairly small team. Two years ago, I think there was only five or six of us. And in terms of products, well, probably five years ago, we started doing the cloth sanitary pads again, and that was out of the back of necessity. So I've had four kids. Tampons are no longer my friend. And I didn't want to use, I've never used disposable pads. Tried a, a menstrual cup. It wasn't for me. And went looking for cloth pads and started producing cloth pads, which went really well. People liked them. Came across period pants and thought, I love this idea. Let's see if we can make them and make them pretty. And and so we launched period pants about two and a half years ago, maybe three years ago. So the product range has grown over time. I guess the sort of the biggest switch for me has been my kids getting a bit older. They're all at school. I have had more time. There was a bit of a fundamental mind switch for me. A couple of years ago, my husband and I separated and my first holiday away with the kids, I took them to Centre Parks. And I remember stopping at the Channel Tunnel and looking at, at books and there was books on business and they had some books on business management and change. And I thought, I'm going to have a bit of time to sit by the pool while the kids all go off and play. So I'll have a look at this. And it just gave me that I could be doing more. I could be doing, you know, cheeky wipes could be doing more. And I think at that point, I thought I could do with some help. Things are okay the way they are, but if we're going to make this bigger, I need more robust processes or whatever. I need some help. So Claire, my warehouse manager, very good friend, I had met her uncle on a few occasions and really liked him. Mid-70s, very switched on. And I reached out to him when I came back and said, look, would you be interested in coming to work with me on a consultancy basis? And it'll be two years in, in June. It sounds like it was an absolutely cracking investment then. Absolutely. We don't always agree on things, which is fine. But one of the things that we really disagreed on was the approach to distance working. So I've always worked from home. I get the kids off to school. I sit down at my computer. I'm there until 
three and he had a real issue with us employing anyone who was going to be based at home, even based at home part time. And we had words back in January, February, when I was looking to recruit a new marketing manager. And I said, look, I'm really happy for them to be home based because mm. this is a part time role. I'm imagining that we will get a lot of mums applying for it and they will want flexibility. And I know how important flexibility is. So I think it should be based from home. And then COVID hit and everybody had to work from home. My husband used to commute into London and he can do his job perfectly from home. So it's a much better work-life balance for him. And why would people want to give that up when they've proven that we can continue. It's a mindset change, isn't it? Yeah, it totally is. It completely is. And I think that will be the key thing that people, they're just not going to want to go back to doing what they were doing before. And I think workplaces are going to really have to contend with that. We're running out of time, which is annoying because again, this has just been the best, but I'm going to leave with a couple of questions I just want to ask you. I guess the people who are maybe not working for themselves, who are first time mums, who are worried about going back to work, is there any particular advice or little gems of wisdom that you might want to pass on to them don't beat yourself up don't listen to anyone else who tries to beat yourself up go with your gut instinct on what the right thing is for you and your baby and then just go with it but don't beat yourself up life's too short love that and also we need to couple that with the jfdi exactly (laughs) um okay and then one more because you answered that so succinctly i think i know where you're going to go with this answer but do you feel like there is something that our society can do better in terms of providing for new mums? And do you think that there's something that people without babies can do better to provide for new mums? Oh, interesting. I think just be supportive of choices, whatever those choices are. And don't judge, don't judge other people for the choices they make. We're all different. We all do what works best for us and our circumstances. And just because somebody makes a different choice to you doesn't mean they're right or wrong mums net much as i love mums net oh my god they are a pack of judgy so scary mums net terrifies me so scary and it's it's so judgmental please just just mind your own business let people get on (laughs) and and do what works for them and and let let people get on with it that's so funny that you said that mums net is genuinely it, it scares me to my core it it really does And then is there anything that you wish you could tell your past self at the beginning of the Cheeky Whites journey in terms of where you've got to now? Just trust your judgment and and learn from your mistakes. That's something that is is really important to me. It's don't get stuck in, oh, I'm I'm so stupid for this or I should have, you know, I should have done that. Should have is just ridiculous. Just, okay, what can I learn from it? What can I improve? And and keep that as your mindset for, for moving forward. I've so enjoyed having you on and having somebody on who A, has four kids. You're definitely my first that has more than three children. And secondly, just somebody who's been through it and is coming out the other side is just such a pleasure and such a refreshing change. So I just so appreciate you giving up your time. I know that you're extremely busy. Thank you. I'm a podcast virgin. I've really enjoyed it. It was, yeah, it's just been a really good chat. It was great. Thank you. Good. You're very welcome. And thank you so much, Helen. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. All right, great. Have a good day. Okay, you too. You made it. You've reached the end of the Springback Guide podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, 
Please rate it five stars to join everyone else in spreading the word about how to go back to work happy and confident after your baby. You can find me on Instagram at springbackguide, or if you're feeling really inspired, head to springbackguide.com to go for it and invest in yourself. Okay, see you soon.